0: Welcome to Bible Study, everybody. Great to see you tonight. Thanks for coming. I'm going to take a few moments and pray. Ask God's blessing on our time and get to it. Let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, just your love tonight. We find ourselves in the midst of your love. We ask that we would be able to receive more and more of what that means in our lives. More of your presence, more of your peace, more of your grace, more of your provision. God, uh, thanks for loving us and thanks for caring for us. So tonight we ask that uh, your word would be open to us, that we would have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit would be saying. We pray that you would speak and we would respond. Uh, we ask God for a simplicity of understanding, a simplicity of application to what you have to say. And I ask tonight that you'd be glorified through what we do. We give you thanks for this time. We give you thanks for this place. We ask God that you'd have your way. Welcome Jesus. Welcome into the gathering in the midst of your people. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study, all one word. You go there to that webpage and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you have your Bibles, let's open to Galatians, the book of Galatians. Chapter 4, I was uh, going through my Bible reading for today and uh, a name came up, Balaam, came up in my Bible reading today and it was a passage where uh, before Moses was going to be gathered to his people, I mean he's going to die. God directed him to uh, avenge the people of Israel to send an army to, against the people of Midian. And so he did, and so they sent 12,000 soldiers up against Midian. And one of the casualties of that was, guess who? Balaam. Yeah, they killed him with the sword uh, during that uh, battle against Midian. So I thought that was kind of interesting because we were just talking about Balaam yesterday. But that was the end of Balaam, right there. That was it. So Galatians chapter four. I need a volunteer to read verse nine. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to
1: those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again?
0: Alright, thanks for reading that. Uh, part of the, the main, one of the main themes of Galatians is Paul uh, just speaking to the church and really encouraging them not to go backwards. He's, he's really encouraging them to stay the, stay the path and stay forward. And uh, part of what was going on in the church is that uh, they were trying to figure out how to integrate some of their old ways into the gospel ways. And Paul was just saying that's not how it works. There's no integrating the old ways in with what Jesus has done and and so a lot of Galatians has to do with trying to explain to the church don't do that, and why you shouldn't do that and Although that sounds like, oh well, that seems obvious, you know you're coming out of something that didn't work, and so it didn't it never really worked, so you got something new that does work then why would you turn again to the thing that didn't work? And that was really the question that Paul asking. He's like, well, why go back to something that failed? Why go back to something that didn't meet the need? Why go back to something that was insufficient? Why go back to something that you left because you didn't want it anymore? And so he's encouraging them to continue to move forward. He's encouraging them to continue to move forward in what God has for them, what the gospel has for them, what the Word of God has for them, and, and to find their rest and find their peace and find their blessing and find their provision and find everything that the gospel offers and to continue on in that so that they could receive that. And so that was, that's basically the word that you're hearing here. And it's kind of a good word because uh, the idea behind it is that there's nothing behind there's nothing left behind. And so we have to stop doing that. Now, and, and it seems like, okay, well, that's kind of an obvious point, and yet the people will try to integrate old ways into new ways all the time, even though the old ways didn't work. It, it's something that is, it may be part of human nature. It may be just a part of, of who we are. I, I have no idea, but it's something that is just prone. We're prone to it. And so it's something to be guarded against. It's something to be fought against. It's something to be aware of, but more than just aware of, to actually try and set up some way in our hearts, our mind, our spirit, to not allow ourselves to return to where it is we came from. Uh, Jesus described this idea as as a dog returns to its vomit. Do you know what that means? Have you ever had a dog? Do you understand what that means? Yeah. Well, 'cause a dog will puke, right, and then lick it up. And I know that's kind of gross, but they're dogs, right? Dogs do all kinds of disgusting things. And I know we love dogs; people love dogs, and you know. But you should be careful letting a dog lick you in the face, because dogs do all kinds of disgusting things, and they eat disgusting things. And you know, I like dogs. I've had dogs my whole life, and I've been around dogs my whole life, and you know, I enjoy having a dog, but but is understand they're dogs. And so they do things that are a little bit gross. And so Jesus described this process as humans that we're prone to as being like a dog, is that we vomit. In other words, we leave something behind. they like, I don't want this anymore. We get rid of it and we move on. But for some reason, some, some who knows why, we return back to the very thing that we left, uh, and, and kind of a weird. And this isn't a spiritual example. This is a, kind of a just a people example. You got people that, for example, will live in the Northeast somewhere, New York City, Boston, wherever, and they'll get sick of paying taxes, or they'll get sick of whatever it is that they want to leave the Northeast for, and they'll move down to. A rural North Carolina. And and so there's always those people that will come from these areas that have left for a reason. And we live here, so I'm not busting on it. I'm just saying that they leave for a reason. And you hear a lot taxes. You hear a lot whatever it is. And they'll go down to these places in rural North Carolina, run for office, and what do they want to do once they get there? They try to recreate what they ran away from. They, they want all these services that aren't provided there, that they used to have back where they used to live. And they'll want all these things to be provided for them. They want all these services, all these things. Well, the only way to do that is to do what? Raise taxes, right? And so you're creating the same thing that you left but by going into this other place that's been probably functioning pretty well for a really long time. Without any of those things, and and probably doing great for a really long time. And one of the reasons you were attracted to it is because of low taxes, and because you know all these other reasons why. But you're in the process. Well, we need to do this, 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 and this, which would just ruin that place and recreate the place that you left. Now, this is a phenomenon. All right, this is something that happens, you know, anywhere that people move to. Like for example, like I said, Western North Carolina or or the Outer Banks or Florida and places in Florida or wherever it is people go, gonna move to. They try to recreate what they left. They didn't like where they were, that's why they moved there, but they try to recreate it. And so spiritually, we we do some of the same things. And in the Galatians, what they were involved in was that kind of an effort. So Galatian and, and where they were, they were coming out of most of the people were coming out of idolatry. So they, they had been pagans, idolaters, and they had worshipped whatever they worshipped in their temples. And so they had set rites and, and set ways of doing things. And and they they would there were set sacrifices and there were set customs and there were set things that they would do. Well, they were delivered from that. And so there were Pagans that were involved now, idol worshipers. And then there were also those that had come out of the Jewish faith that also had their set days of worship. They had their set observances. They had their set ways of doing things. Their set rites and all those things. And so you've got this church of people that had come out of some form of religion. And they accepted the gospel and had been set free. And they were literally set free. They were set free from... The, the pagan worshippers were set free from the idolatry. The, the, the Jewish worshippers were set free from the rights and all the things that they were under bondage to. And so they were all set free, and they were given the riches, and they were given all of the plenty that the gospel gives, and yet they were trying to take that, take that freedom and take that liberty, and somehow mesh that with their old ways. Like, well, we should have this and this, or we should have that. One of the biggest things I had to fight starting a church, I didn't have this problem on campus because most of the students didn't care. It wasn't really an issue. But one of the biggest things I had to fight starting a church were people that want the old ways. They wanted to bring their old ways into what we were trying to do here. There ain't no old ways. Uh, People coming in here, they're being set free. People coming in here... They're being healed. People are coming in here. They're coming into the knowledge of the gospel. People are coming in here. They're, they're leaving passed past behind. They're coming into a new life in Jesus. All those things are awesome. Some of them are coming out of old religion. Some of them are coming out of old ways of doing things. Some of them are coming out of old customs, whatever it was that they were coming out of. But there is this tendency to bring in or try to bring in or try to retain some of those old ways. And that's the very thing that Paul here is saying don't do it don't do it and it was a hard fight it's always been a hard fight it's always a hard fight to to come against the old ways it's always a hard fight cuz the argument is well well some of the ways were good no no and i and i I'll, I'll share with you from this passage but no and, and that's the problem. The problem is, it's like we get in our head, oh, we can mix a little bit and it'll be okay. We can just do that a little bit. I was talking yesterday about the doctrine of Balaam. And the doctrine of Balaam is, is well, a little bit, I mean, if it benefits me or I like it, it's, it's no problem. You know, a little bit of sin, but if I, I get, get some kind of financial gain from that, that's all right. Or if it benefits me personally, well, that'll be Okay. That is the doctrine of Balaam. The problem with the doctrine of Balaam, and if I offend you, I'm sorry, the problem with the doctrine of Balaam is this, is that the mixing of what God says and the mixing of what God has for us in our lives with what we want, in other words, personal gain, uh, whatever it is that we're looking for, when you begin to mix those things and begin to make compromises in what God has said, that becomes what the Bible refers to as witchcraft. And I know that's a bad word and people get all upset about it, but that's what it becomes. Uh, You think about Saul. When Saul was king and God told him, he said, all right, I want you to go into this place. He said, you're going to do X, Y, and Z. And so Saul went into that place. He did X, he did Y, and he did most of Z but there was a little bit of Z that he could benefit from. And so he didn't do it. And Samuel the prophet came to him and Samuel the prophet said to him, and he rebuked him, He's like, you should have done what God told you to do. He says, for your rebellion, and as he's talking to him about that specific situation, your rebellion in this is as the sin of witchcraft. So I'm not making that up. All right? That this occurs again in the Old Testament. It occurs again among God's people. And then it occurs again in the New Testament because it's a human condition. And it's not something I'm trying to make anybody feel badly about. It's something I'm trying to warn you against. is that that whole attitude of, well, it's just a little bit. Well, it is just a little bit. It's just not what God said. That becomes the problem. See, Balaam is a sorcerer in the Old Testament. Balaam makes money by prophesying over people and cursing people. And and you can look at that and you can say, well, How does he do that? Well, he does that because he submits himself to God for those moments. But what does he do with that? He then injects something from himself into it, something that he can gain from, something that he can get rich from or whatever it would be, and he creates a situation, and this is throughout wherever he appears in the Old Testament, he creates a situation for his benefit, but not entirely on what God said. And that is sorcery. That's witchcraft. It's when we will, like he does, uh, well, I'll submit to you, God, for now. I'll get your word, and then I'm going to take that and do whatever I want with it. That's witchcraft. So I want to encourage you that that's not where we're at. That is the doctrine of Balaam. But the doctrine of Balaam needs to get out of our thinking. It needs to get out of the church. It needs to get out of whatever it is that we brought that in from because it's not just us it's not just me it's not just you it's the history of humankind that we have this tendency to do this it's a draw it's a pull on us to do that because we want our way but we know and when we come in the people of faith and we see God and it's like well we know God's important but we want what we want and when you've got those two things mixed together this is what God says and this is what I want Those two things mixing together are not good. And and so what God calls us to is He calls us out of that kind of weird hybrid mixture of God's Word and what I want into a full, and I believe a full place where He desires to be of, this is what God wants. And we go through this process of maturity, and it is a process where our will begins to submit and come into line with His will. Instead of trying to force our way, instead of trying to connive our way, instead of trying to to somehow sneak our way into it, we actually are in a process of being transformed to a place where what God wants is what I want. And I know that sounds simple but that's a hard process because that's the process of us laying down our wants that's the process of us laying down what we're we're thinking we need or something and trusting him and allowing him to be God you Now, Balaam made his money he made his money and it, the only reason he was set up for that whole thing with Israel when he blessed him instead of cursed him because his donkey talked to him and set him up for that. Because otherwise, he I don't know that he would have ever done that. He might have held his peace. He might have made something up. He would have done something else. But because he'd been rebuked and an angel had rebuked him right before this incident, he was set up to, I'm just going to say what God tells me to say. I'm just going to do what God tells me to do. And that was it. And I think sometimes that we need that kind of a revelation to lay down the doctrine of Balaam and pick up what the Holy Spirit has for us. Because I don't need to manipulate my world. I don't. I don't need to pretend to control my world. I, I don't. I don't need to somehow get my way sneaky-like in my world. God's will, purpose, and plan is sufficient. And so when Paul speaks to this church, he's speaking to this church about God's plan is sufficient. Your plan is not. And that's what he's telling them. Just in simple terms, you don't want to go back to something that doesn't work. You don't want to go back to something that... It wasn't fulfilling. You don't want to go back to something that you left because it wasn't the right thing. You just don't. And, and so he's trying to reiterate that. He's trying to speak to them. He's trying to tell them. It's like, Who has fooled you? Who has bewitched you that you would go back to this way that you left? And that's the word he used. Who's bewitched you? Oh, foolish Galatians. So in this passage, he talks about it's, it talks about uh, knowing God, and the word is used for knowing. In there, is the word uh, it's the process of obtaining knowledge of. Because there's different words for knowing, you know. You can know somebody, like oh I recognize them and I know their name kind of thing. This is not that kind of knowing. This knowing is more of taking hold of a process in obtaining knowledge of God. as kind of opposed to ignorance. And so, and so he makes this statement about knowing God, but then he immediately corrects it. You see in there, there's a correction in there? Where he says, now, well, this, pro- this process of you knowing God, but he says, well, well, not exactly. What does he say after that? How does he correct that statement? Or rather, so in other words, and this is there's too much stress on human effort that that he was seeing in that. In other words, he made the statement, and he thought, "I don't want anybody to think this has to do with your effort, because if it's based on human effort, then what what rises up in people? Pride, right? So if you got a Galatian, let's say that knows a lot about God, but it was a result of him being a great. Memorizer and studier of books, then he could be prideful about that. In other words, like, oh, well, I know all this about God because I, you know, I studied. I know all this about God because I have, uh, you know, I've obtained greater knowledge through what it is that I've done. All right. Well, he, he cuts that off. He says, all right. So there's this process of knowing God, but understand this about this process of knowing God. It doesn't have to do with your effort or rather of God knowing you. See, that's the divine side of it. It's it's a recognition that it is by God, it's by His acceptance, it's by His grace, it's by His life, it's by His uh, revelation, it's by His relationship with you that that process can possibly take place. And he wants to make sure that they understand that so that no one would rise up in pride. Because that's just human nature. That's kind of who we are. And he's like, all right, well, I put in the effort. I got the knowledge. And whether you call it pride or you call it something else, it, it doesn't matter. Biblically, that's pride. And so he's like, all right, well, we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to talk about that human effort. We're going to talk about... A a knowledge, we're going to talk about uh, a knowing God. We're going to talk about a process of obtaining knowledge about God that begins and ends with God. That's what we're going to talk about. And so as He knows us, He reveals Himself, He shows Himself, and it's through that process that we begin to understand Him more. And you could argue and you say, well, well, you know, people could study the Bible and, and know more about God. Well, those guys that have studied the Bible their whole lives. They have studied the Bible their whole lives. They know Hebrew. They know Aramaic. They know Greek. They've studied all the languages. They know Latin. And, and they can take apart the, the books of the Bible. They can take apart chapters. They can take apart verses of the Bible. They can take apart word for word in the Bible and give you definition after definition, and how it all goes together, and they can talk about syntax, and they can talk about all those things. And there's guys like that all over the world that can do that, but they don't know Jesus. They have a relationship with God. Because I'm not saying there's anything bad about knowing all those things. That's great. I wish I knew more of those things. But knowing those things, and just putting in the effort to know those things and study those languages and take apart that book like that and understand the history of it, that does not equal relationship with God. It just doesn't. And there's plenty of guys out there that can attest to that. Some of them working in seminaries. Some of them working in in other places like that. One of my mentors in college, uh, I took a course from him. I was at a state school. But he had uh, come from Princeton Theological Seminary. And I took a course from him, um, Bible interpretation or something, Bible's literature or something. And he kind of took me under his wing, and I ended up doing an independent study with him. But he warned me about that. And he talked to me about people, colleagues, people that he knew, that knew so much, had so much knowledge, but didn't know God. And and he he felt like that was one of the, the deciding factors of him leaving and going into the system that he was a part of, was to put himself in a position where he could have some kind of influence and he could, he could really encourage some people into relationship outside of the extreme academic environment that he came from. But he gave me first-hand experience. He gave me first-hand knowledge of these, these kind of things. And it was funny because as I was ready to graduate, he encouraged me to go there. Like I thought it was really funny. It's like, why would you encourage me to go there? But he felt like, he's like, well, I, I feel like you could be a, make a difference. Uh, I feel like I'd be getting swallowed by the dragon. And and that, that wasn't what I wanted. It wasn't where I wanted to be. It wasn't what God had for me. So, it's not our effort. It's God. And it's his revelation that matters. Some of the best sermons I've ever heard, some of the most moving sermons I've ever heard, were by people that didn't have any, hardly any education at all. I remember uh, listening to my grandfather, and there was a guy that made it. I think he had sixth grade, was it? But that guy could preach. How you do that? How you do that with a sixth grade education? And the guys that had come before Him that were doing that with even less, well, there's some power there. There's some revelation there. There's some relationship there. And Jesus knew Him and therefore revealed Himself to Him. And He was able to speak from that revelation. It's not a matter of pride. It's a matter of relationship. It's the divine side of the process. In this passage, he talks about, he's he's, talking to Galatians, he's like, where are you going to go back to basic spiritual principles? And kind of interestingly, that phrase there, uh, and I I saw this example in a couple different places where it talks about that phrase going back to the spiritual principles, is to turn again back to the start. It, It would be like, You know, having a child reciting their ABCs, they get stuck on one you have them start over again. That's the picture of that. He's like, that's what we're going to do? That's what you're going to do. You're going to come this far all the way to the letter J. And you get to J, you're a little stuck here, so you're going to go all the way back to A again? Is that what we're doing? That's what they were going to do. But again, where did they come from? They came out of paganism. Where would they come from? They came out of idolatry. Some of them came out of the, the old Jewish religion. Somehow, some way, though, they came out of some religious system. They came out of some system of rites. They came out of some system of ceremony. They came out of some system of custom or observances or, or forms or whatever you want to say. That's where they came from. And so they were coming out of all of those things, coming into this relationship with God, growing in this relationship with God, to get to a certain point, and they're just going to start all over again. And that's what some of them were doing. They're trying to go back and bring in whatever it was that they had learned when they were children. Some of the people would talk a lot about Jesus, talk a lot about God, and they are talking about God over and over. It doesn't matter how many times. I say God loves you. It doesn't matter how many times I say God likes you. It doesn't matter how many times I say God is on your side. It doesn't matter how many times I tell you that that God is on your behalf, in your favor. He's looking out for you. I, I say all those things about God. It doesn't matter how many times. If you were brought up a certain way and you were taught a certain thing about God, you will revert back to that in times of crisis. No matter how many times. Well, you know, it's like something bad happens in your life or you get into a point of crisis, what's well, the first thing somebody says? God's mad at me. God's not mad at you. But you were taught that somewhere along the line when you were a child, and so you get into a point of crisis. And you're like, yeah, it's easy to say God loves me and God likes me and God's looking out for me and God wants the best for me when everything's going your way. Yeah, obviously. That's great. Those are good times. But then you hit a point of crisis and you revert back to the start of your ABCs again. What's the start your ABCs. God's mad at me. Well, why? Because that's what you were taught as a kid. You were taught, well, God gets mad at you. You know, maybe it was some well-meaning adult that told you, well, if you do that, God's going to be mad at you. You shouldn't be naughty. You know, kind of the Santa God thing. You know, if you're naughty or nice, He knows. That kind of thing. And so there's this idea that that's the way God is, and He's looking over your shoulder, and if you do anything wrong, it's a point of control. And it was a point of control that adults used to control children during a certain time frame in this country. And so if you were brought up in that, and in other countries too, if you were brought up in that, it's kind of an international thing. I've seen that all over the world, you know, just different forms and different ways but it's a point of control to control the behavior of children. That, well, God's going to be mad at you. God's going to be disappointed in you. God's going to be upset with you. So you shouldn't do that. You know, God's watching. Yeah. You see, the problem with that is if God's always watching over your shoulder, not in a good way, you know, not like we're the apple of his eye, not like, that he he follows us and watches us for our own good and for our protection and our life and our love and all the rest because he he loves us so much and he's just looking out for us? Not that way. He's watching. Why? Waiting for you to make a mistake. Why? So he can be disappointed in you and mad. That's not the God we serve. That is not the God we serve. That's the God you were told as a child. And I'm just using this as an example is that that's how it reverts back. And it's not in the good times, it's in the point of crisis it reverts back. So whatever had happened in Galatia, whatever happened to these churches here, that something had happened and they were reverting back to something else. We know they were facing persecution. We know that people that were in the cities that they were in did not understand what they were doing. They understood the old ways, but they didn't understand what they were doing. They understood the way that they were brought up, but they didn't understand this. Families were probably divided. Businesses probably lost business, gained, whatever. And so there were points of crisis all along this, and somebody came up with the idea, hey, let's just introduce this back into it. It'll make us more palatable to the people around us. Yeah. Yeah, it's not a good reason at all. Because what happens is is that we begin to serve a God of our own making. And that's harsh, but it's true. You know that God that's mad at you? That was a God of someone's own making. That God that, that's watching you, waiting for you to make a mistake, that's the God of somebody's own making. That's not the God I know, and it's not the God that I see revealed here. That was somebody's idea. That was somebody's concept. That was somebody's way of seeing God and that became just what was ours too as a child. That's what we were taught. Well, that's harsh and wrong and debilitating in our relationship with Him. And it creates a situation where we're not really flowing in the riches of His grace. And of the gospel. And the provision of the gospel over our lives. But we're flowing in some bad idea that we just can't shake. Some perverted idea of God that we just never really dismissed. And I just believe we got to do that. we just got to stop this. And, and I mean, this book was written to... Churches, they've been around for a while. This wasn't these weren't like new people. Churches have been around for a while. And and these epistles that are written like the Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, these were the churches that had been established. Corinthians, that was a church that had been established. That doesn't mean everything's perfect. It just means it's established and people are still people and people are still struggling and people are still going to have bad ideas and people are still going to have some of the same issues that they had before. And it needs to be dealt with somehow. And I've just believed that there has to be every now and then just kind of a hard word about it. Stop. Stop. Stop doing that. We need, I need a hard word about that is that we don't need to continue in on that. The Bible, and and I believe that you can persuade yourself of anything. I just believe that, pretty much. People persuade themselves of weird stuff all the time. You should be a little bit suspicious of yourself. What do I mean by that? I mean, just a little bit suspicious. What's my motivation on this? What do I gain? What do I lose? And, and really just ask yourself, few, ask yourself a few questions about things every now and then. Be a little bit suspicious. And, all right, well, I'm in the right place, the right head space here. Am I thinking about this right? Ask somebody else, am I thinking about this right? That's why we got each other, right? Not so we can all just somehow magically agree together in some big group groupthink. We got each other so we can bounce ideas off each other and say, "Hey, does this sound right to you or not? Be a little bit suspicious. Sound good to you? Yeah, good. All right. Somebody you trust And so we we every now and then, I think it's good to ask some questions. every now and then I think it's good to, to really check ourselves as to where we're at. In this passage, Paul says, "The old ways, the old ways." How do I describe the old ways? Ceremony, yeah, custom, observance, rites, forms, and, and some of you are thinking, "I love those things. I know it's in our nature to." Paul describes those things as weak, weak, weak. Somebody look at Hebrews seven eighteen. Weak and useless. Now, that's specifically, and, and I wanted to use this, that's specifically talking about the old ways that they came out of, of Judaism. Because that's a book to the, what book does that? Hebrews, right. Yeah, so it's, that's a letter to the Hebrews. And so, the writer of Hebrews is saying there, and he's not pulling any punches. He's like, he's like that. That's all weak. It's all ineffective. All those rites and ceremonies and regulations and rules and all the stuff that came out of that is weak and useless. And I know this is a not a popular stance to take, but the, Hebrews says this. It says that we have an altar. An altar that the Jewish people cannot even approach. And it's an altar of worship. It's popular in the church to just ever see everybody together. And yet, you've got a whole book saying that's not true. And I could ignore that. And I could not talk about it, which would be a little more... Uh, Nice, I guess, but you had guys in the first century giving their lives, and understand this this is the only reason I'm bringing this up. yeah guys giving their lives, literally laying their lives down in order to share this good news with their brothers. that needed to hear it, and if everything was just all great and we could all get along, why would they be dying to share? the hope and the grace and the love and the mercy of God with people. Because they needed to hear it. They needed it. It's better. And that's the point that he's making here. He's like, it's better. What you came from was weaker. And he was referring to both. He's referring to the idolatry they came out of. But he's also referring to the people that come out of the synagogue, too. And he's just saying, No, don't go back to what's weaker. Don't go back to what's ineffective. Don't go back to what you left. He uses the phrase, but now. And he introduces this as an absurd idea to return to what you were freed from. To return to your slavery and return to your bondage. That's an absurd idea. But people want to do that. How do I know that? Children of Israel get out in the wilderness with Moses. They begin to grumble and complain. What do they want to do? Go back to Egypt. Well, what was in Egypt? Yeah. Food and Slavery. slavery and bondage. Right. They had food. It just wasn't the good food. Yeah, garlic and leeks of Egypt. So I'm going to go back to Egypt, which is slavery and bondage because of garlic and leeks. Because I am sick of this manna. Seriously? That is an absurd idea. And yet, it's human nature. To go back to the thing that you left 'Cause it wasn't working is an absurd idea, but it's human nature. To repeat the same thing that you did before that didn't work is an absurd idea, but it's human nature. And so I'm not denying human nature. I'm just saying that that we need to be aware of that. That it's a human tendency to do that. Paul says that this whole thing is 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 uh Insufficient, like everything they left behind that they were trying to bring back into the gospel, it's insufficient, It's insufficient that, that even if they had those things that they brought back whatever it was, whatever rules, rites, ceremonies, whatever it was, it would be insufficient to enable them to work out their salvation. They wouldn't be able to do it because God's provided a way of salvation. That's the only way of salvation. And so by trying to take something and add whatever you like into it, to add a few rites or a few ceremonies into it, or add a few things that you like into it to make it more palatable to you, yeah, that's ineffective. It's absurd. Because if those things could have worked, they would have. If those things could have done the job, well, then they would have. But they couldn't they proved that they couldn't, and, and, and they're described, and this idea is it's, it's helpless. It's like a helpless condition, that when we put ourselves back into the place where we came from, back into the bondage, back into the servitude, back into the places where we came from, that slavery we came out of, we put ourselves in a, in a helpless condition. Uh, that it, the, the word weak is beggarly is another word used for that, or poor. You know, barren, dry. And yet the gospel is rich with abundance to do everything that it says it's going to do. Let's look at Ephesians 3.8. Ephesians 3.8. Endless treasures. That sounds good. But that has nothing to do with transporting stuff out of where they came from. That has to do with God's provided. That has to do with what God has said. That has to do with His plan, His purpose, and His way. Not theirs. And it's not even a mixture of those. It's just what God has said. And and I don't know how we can just accept that but I want to encourage you toward that. It's just what God has said. Just let it be. And this is a hard word Paul has given. Paul's a Pharisee. He's of the Jewish faith. That's a hard word to, to tell a bunch of his people. It's like, yeah, that stuff you believe in, that's weak. Because he believes in it. It's weak. It's ineffective. It's dry. It's barren. It's beggarly. And it's poor. That's a hard word. But it's a reality that, that people needed to have. We need to have. And we have a desire. And, and I want you to hear me on this. Stronger than some of us than others. But people have a desire toward bondage and servitude. And you need to fight that. Some people derive a comfort in that. You need to fight that. Some people derive what they perceive as rest in that. And you need to fight that. You need to fight it. So we come right down to it. He says the old ways are weak. And then he says they're useless. The reason they're useless is because they're made up. They're just made up. See, all knowledge that we know of God is because we're known. And then everything else is just made up. All knowledge that we have of God is because we're known. Everything else is just made up. And all that made up stuff can fill a library of books. It just can. It makes my head spin. The amount of made up stuff. And then you add to the stuff, you got made up stuff, and then you got stuff that really doesn't matter. Things that aren't important. Things that no one cares about. And you got this whole sea of stuff. Then the big scheme of things isn't gonna matter one bit but it could seem super important in a moment. See, God begins on His part. This is how He begins on His part. You ready? He knows you. That's how He begins. All this whole process, everything we're talking about tonight, begins with God knows you. And, and you need to believe that. And not know you in a creepy way. Not know you because He's watching you, waiting for you to make a mistake. Not know you because He's mad at you. Not know you because He's just looking to get you or anything like that. He knows you because He loves you. And He wants the best for you. And I, I like using this word as a distinctive. Understand this. He likes you. You know, And you know what I'm talking about. There's a distinctive between loving someone and liking somebody. Because we all have family members that we love, but we don't necessarily like. I, just Honestly. And you know that. You know, you love them because of your family. But you don't necessarily like them that much. Like, you're not going to go hang out with them. And, and so, God not only loves you in kind of a tolerating kind of way, He likes you. And that's an important distinctive for us to live in. And And all of those things that come from our past that tell us that's not true... We need to sort that and be done with it, and dismiss it. You come out of any religion, I don't care what kind of religion, somehow God's mad at you, because it's a point of control. There's always a point of control if God's mad at you, or potentially mad at you, because see, He watches everything, He knows everything. We believe He's omniscient, we believe He sees everything. And so a point of control, it can't be God loves you and, and He likes you, that's not a point of control. The point of control is is that he's watching you and he's waiting for you to make a mistake so that he can punish you. That way, if I tell you that, I can control your behavior and I don't even need to be there. Because God's already there. And so I use God somehow to control people. That's kind of devilish. Church has been doing it for millennia. All right, it needs to stop. That just needs to stop. That's not the God we serve. That's not the God revealed here. That's not the God who revealed Himself through Jesus. That's not. That's not who it is. It's not who we are. It just has to stop with you and with me. These people in. Galatia, there had been a happy change for them from idolatry to the living God. And not only was there a changeover from idolatry to the living God, but they had also been adopted as sons. And that that adoption as sons, as daughters, as children of God, that was by a free and rich grace, grace that was given to them. Not that they earned it, not that they had anything to deserve it. It was just a grace that God gave so that they'd come in a relationship with him. They could be his children. And that's the same grace, that rich and abundant grace that God poured out on us so that we could be his children. You didn't do anything. I don't care how good you are. You ain't that good. Nobody's that good. And so we, we didn't achieve or we didn't earn or we didn't somehow you know, work for this grace. It's just a free gift. And because it's a free gift and it brings us into a relationship with God, because it's a free gift and it, and it creates a situation where we're adopted as sons and daughters of God, Where because it's a free gift, it has nothing to do with where we came from. It has to do with now. Right now. And so it puts us, as it did the Galatians, and Paul's very clear on this, and he's clear with us too. It puts us at a greater obligation to keep the liberty by which we're free. We're under greater obligation. Because if we're going to live, I mean really live, then we can't go back where we came from. So the obligation, not only for our sakes, to live freely and at liberty, eyes forward, moving forward in what God has for us, it's not just for us, but it's for the other people that are going to come alongside that we're going to have influence over. And we're just moving ahead. We're just going on. The past doesn't have the answer. It doesn't. And as much as I respect history and as much as I respect things that are in the past, it doesn't have the answer in this case. This this fluid move what God is doing, the answer is in Him. It's always been in Him. It will always be in Him. And as weirdly, I guess, To some of you, that would sound really radical. I don't know. As weirdly radical as that may sound to some of you, it's fairly straightforward, at least in the writings of Paul, and I believe in the teachings of Jesus. It's just straightforward. And so we are faced with decision. And this is what I want to encourage you with tonight, is that, we, we reach moments in our life of decision. And, and you can keep reaching backwards if you want. There's nobody going to stop you from doing that. Nobody. You just keep reaching backwards, keep reaching backwards, keep reaching backwards, but that's not going to take you where you want to go. It never did and it never will. You're here tonight likely because you're looking for something ahead. You're looking for something real now. And so, that is being offered. There's a rich and abundant grace that provides that in our lives. But it has nothing to do with the past. It has nothing to do with the ceremonies and the rites and the rituals and all the things that we came out of. It doesn't have anything to do with that. It has to do with the living God here and now in our lives. And so, we need to stop... Rewarding what God wants to do in us by taking hold of things that we should have left behind. By trying to keep a grip on things that just don't matter. And to just really just let go into what God has for us. Witchcraft never accomplished what it was supposed to in anybody's life. Ever. It promises big things and gives out paltry. And it's always been something that costs you more than it ever gives you. And and trying to mix worlds, trying to mix your will into it, trying to mix your your petty whatever it is that you're trying to mix into it is never worth it because it will cost you more than you'll ever gain out of it. You gotta let go of that, and that—that's the lesson. Is in order to really grab hold of grace, really, it's the only thing that's really going to set you free. Is grace. Grace is the only thing that's going to set you free. It's free for you to take hold of right now. And here's the part that we get tripped up on. Grace is free, but it cost a man his life. And so you can say that, well, it cost Jesus his life. Yeah, but it's going to cost you your life too. Because I'm going to leave behind the stuff I left. And enter into a grand adventure that I never planned on that I never looked at and said, oh, this is going to be the greatest time of my life or anything like that. I'm going to enter into a grand adventure. I have no idea where I'll be. I have no idea where it's going to happen or what's going to happen or how it's going to happen. But I'm going to enter into this adventure with Jesus into His grace, into His mercy, and into the abundance that those things bring. That has to do everything with Him. Everything with Him. It requires me to lay down the stuff I need to lay down. So where would you come from? You don't have to answer that. (laughs) What would you come out of? How does that affect you? You probably don't know. Not fully. I said a couple things tonight, and I know for some of you that rang some bells for you. You may not even realize it. But that's what I'm talking about. You need to get a hold of those things. Jesus, how is it still affecting me? Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Leave it behind. It didn't get you here today. It's not going to keep you here and it's not going to propel you forward. It's what we left. And so I encourage you to get rid of it. Just get rid of it. Heavenly Father, I pray for us as we consider... Yeah, we came out of somewhere... There were, there were things that we brought with us. Uh, we didn't even know some things that we brought with us. And I pray that those things would be highlighted and that we'd have the courage to leave them behind. So we'd just have the courage to let go. We'd have the courage to move forward in you. We'd have the courage to, to take hold of your will and your purposes for our lives. We'd have the courage to take hold of the good news and the gospel that you provided we have the courage to live freely because it does take a certain amount of courage to live freely and so I just ask that we would take hold of that we take hold of whatever it needs to happen in us leaving of the things behind the dismissing of the things we don't need, the the laying aside of the things that hinder, and really moving into the freedom, moving into the liberty, moving into the grace, moving into the abundance, God, that of living that you have for us. Thanks, God. So, Lord, I pray you speak. I pray you highlight some things tonight. Even while we're sitting here, you just highlight a couple things that we could leave behind. And so if God highlights anything to you right now, I just want you to toss that. Be done with it. It ain't going to do you any good. didn't do you any good, it's not going to do you any good. Let go. It's absurd. I pray, God, that here you just raise up a bunch of people that would be free. Raise up a bunch of people that would take hold of life. Raise up a bunch of people that would be filled with courage to move forward into your will, your purposes, your plan. A people that would be free to love and receive love. Yeah. So we find our life in you. We find our life in you. We give you thanks tonight. Pray a process of freedom. uh, Continue, God, to reveal. I pray we continue to get free in the days, weeks ahead. Continue to speak. Continue to reveal. Continue, God, as we move forward into the life that He's given us. Thanks for your good news. Thanks for the abundance of that good news. Thanks for the blessing of that good news. Thanks for Jesus. Thanks for the life that He brings. We give you honor and we give you praise. That's we say in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming tonight. We'll see you again.
1: UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as you gather for the purpose of life in Christ. Yo, know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you uh-huh. know. He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the comunidad. Dad. see, there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm, yeah. As an outgrowth of Chapman City of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we we homies. Yeah.